0: You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Wow. We haven't seen the 49ers do that in a long, long time. 41 to 17 over the Bengals, and it wasn't even that close. And I know that 41-17 is a blowout. They're up 41 to 10 before garbage time touchdown. And this was just impressive in all facets of the game. When you consider that Jimmy Garoppolo averaged 11.9 yards per attempt, answering a lot of questions about his play. That was the highest of any quarterback this week, higher than Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff by nearly two yards per attempt. They uh, outgained the the Bengals 8.4 yards per play to 4.9 yards per play, so nearly twice as good as the Bengals. They outrushed them 259 yards to 25 Matt Breida at 129 yards on only 12 carries. That's 10.1 per carry. The 49ers outgained the Bengals 222 to eight in the decisive third quarter. And, you know, to cap it all off, guys, the 49ers have yet to go three and out this season. Not a single time. Their worst performance today was maybe it was a three and out, but technically didn't count as one. It was a two-play drive where Garoppolo uh, committed a false start himself and then threw a really bad interception. But outside of that, there, there was hardly a single blemish except for the fact that Joe Staley got hurt. Broken fibula, hairline fracture will probably be out six to eight weeks, and we'll talk about that and the 49ers options as this podcast continues. But Let's uh, let's bring it to Matt in Cincinnati, and let's talk about the good stuff first. Matt, what was it like to be at one of the best 49ers' performances since, or the best 49ers' performance since the Jim Harbaugh era?
1: Yeah, Jim Harbaugh. That's a, that's a good call because this reminded me of some of those games in 2012 when they were really rolling, um, even before Colin Kaepernick came in uh, as the starter. Uh, They would bring Kaepernick in for a few running plays, and they just were overwhelming teams. And that's what uh, it seemed like today. The Bengals just had no answers on defense. Uh, The 49ers could run right. They could run left. Lots of play action. This was a very Kyle Shanahan type of game. You saw that on that first touchdown pass to uh, Marquise Goodwin. Uh, The play starts going left. Jimmy Garoppolo rolls right, so the Bengals think that, oh, oops, this, this play's going right. We better go that way. And then Marquise Goodwin sneaks out of the uh, the backside of the formation, or really the front side of the formation, and comes totally clear. And it's just such an easy pass that Jimmy Garoppolo becomes worried that he's going to miss the uh, the wide-open strike and uh, show up on Sports SportsCenter uh, for all the wrong reasons, but Uh, luckily that didn't happen. Easy touchdown. And again, after the game, it's just an explosion, a thunderclap of noise coming out of that locker room as they're uh, giving the game ball and celebrating. And that's the atmosphere. That's the horrible atmosphere that uh, they had in 2011 and 2012. And uh, I I wonder what you saw, Dennis, from uh, from your vantage point.
2: Well, I I tell you, watching this game, First of all, to go on the road, uh, two different time zones, and to get two wins is an accomplishment in itself. Tough to get wins in the NFL before a team to hit the road, and and I know I know they've been away for for two weeks, but to put together two games like they have is is so impressive. And I, I looked at this game, and from from the jump, the defense set the tone, and I and I really like that, Eric Armstead coming in for that sack, very first play of the game. It just set it for the entire game. And watching that that offensive line, I, I knew before the game started that the game was going to be won or lost in the trenches. And you watched a 49er offense, offensive line that just dominated the football game. And you talked about Brita and, and, and Molster. They were clipping off 10, 5, all day long. Every time they touched the ball, it almost looked easy. Even at the end of the game, they were still running, you know, five-yard gains, 10-yard gains. So I was impressed, you know, after the interception, I think the offense came back together. I think defense only had one bad series, really. uh, And uh, that was it. But on both sides of the ball, this 49ers team showed me a lot. They dominated today, and, and we talk about closing football games they kept, they kept it on, on the, the the pedal on the metal. I mean, they, they were going strong the entire football game. So I, I was super impressed just to watch the dominance on the line.
0: Yeah, Dennis, total annihilation in both trenches. And the stats couldn't be any more clear. On the 49ers side, 42 rushing attempts for 259 yards at 6.2 carry. And then you go to the other side for Cincinnati, 19 carries for 25 yards. 1.3 a carry, and that set the backdrop for this whole game because offensively, the 49ers were able to run play action with impunity. I made a Star Wars reference on Twitter during, during the game. It's Whenever they ran play action, it was like the, the Death Star lining up to blow a planet up. I mean, th- there was no resistance from Cincinnati because they weren't able to stop the run, so Jimmy Garoppolo had free reign, and Kyle was scheming guys wide open. It, it looked like a bad college game in that regard. And whenever a quarterback throws for nearly 12 yards per, per attempt in the NFL, that's, th- that shouldn't happen when there are two teams of professionals out there. But that's how much better the 49ers were than the Bengals. But you go to the other side of the ball, and I thought that Cincinnati schemed this game because they were afraid of the 49ers' pass rush. I, I think that Cincinnati saw what the 49ers did last week against Tampa Bay. So they went to no huddle, kind of a hurry-up offense. They didn't establish a running game. And they really paid for it. You see it on the box score with 1.3 yards per carry for the Bengals. That's terrible. But then once that third quarter hit, Matt, it, the, the sack started coming in for the 49ers. There was no offensive spine for the Bengals because the 49ers had scared them out of any type of sturdy offensive game plan. And and then everything really just came crashing down. So for offensively and defensively, this was a really complete performance for the 49ers.
1: Yeah, the, the Bengals did that in week one as well in, in Seattle, a game that they narrowly lost. Uh, they just uh, threw, threw, threw the ball. Andy Dalton said a uh, a record, uh, a career record for pass attempts and and passing yards. That seems to be uh, their M.O. this year. And um, you look at Zach Taylor. He's the ex-Rams quarterbacks coach. So this is sort of a, a Shanahan offense. But as you know, the, the Shanahan offense rests heavily on being able to run the ball and uh, being able to run left and right, which is something that Shanahan couldn't do very well in 2017, Mike McGlinchey comes in last year, and they're able to to do that much better. Now, it uh, looks like Joe Staley is going to be out for at least six weeks. There's probably going to be more than that. And you have to wonder how the 49ers are going to repair that that left tackle spot. Uh, Justin School, a six-round pick, came in today. Uh, School has looked good in the running game um, You know, since, the, since training camp in the summer. It's pass protection where he struggled, and when you're protecting Jimmy Garoppolo's blind side, that's uh, that's a big big issue. So I'm not exactly what, sure what they're going to do there. They had Sam Young, a, uh, a multi-year veteran in camp, and he seemed to do a good job uh, in pass protection. He wasn't as good in the run. So it's a uh, you know six of one, half a dozen of the other issue for them. How are they going to fix this left tackle spot while while Joe Staley is out? um and uh i'm just wondering what uh what your thoughts are dennis on that very important left tackle position yeah and, and when you talk
2: in the nfl there's there's a few positions that you kind of have to have you have to have high level play from certain positions quarterbacks cornerbacks uh and then that that blindside tackle is super important especially when you have your franchise quarterback there so Losing Joe Staley is a big blow. Um, don't really know the se- the severity of the the fracture, but you know when you got a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo there, you you got to protect him. So there's going to have to be some decisions made, and you know you you have to figure out how you protect this guy. And and uh, you you know there's a couple things you can do. I mean you can go out and try to find a tackle. I don't know if there's many tackles. You know we we talk about. Trent Williams, but you know, he's a big money guy and he's he's a little older. Joe Staley may be back, but you have to figure out how to protect him and and I think the 49ers, what it sounds like is they just they'll keep it in-house and and try to make these guys work and and use that whole attitude next man up. And you lose you lose your leadership on the field too. I mean, this is a guy that's been with the team for what? 13, 14 years and yeah. his leadership's going to be needed on the field. He'll be around He'll be in, a, in the meeting rooms, I'm sure, and he'll be in the training room for sure. But you 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 miss that leadership on and
0: off the field. Well, let's take a look at some of the 49ers options, right? I think it basically boils down to two different paths right here, maybe three. Let's say three paths. They can go out and try to trade for a marquee guy, and Trent Williams is the name that everybody's tossing around right now, all pro, six-time pro bowler. He's currently holding out in Washington. That's a pretty nasty contract dispute to where, you know, he, I think he's losing like $40,000 a day or or something like that. So, so people think that that might be possible to trade for, as Dennis said, a big money guy in Trent Williams. Patch that hole right away. Don't skip a beat because Williams has played for Shanahan before in Washington. That being said, I don't know if that's feasible because Joe Staley is not going to be out for the whole season, at least as far as the 49ers are concerned right now they're not even planning on putting staley on injured reserve so th- that means that they want him back before that week 10 marker or so so if this is 6 to 8 weeks with a week bye coming up after this pittsburgh game uh, you don't really want to spend too much capital to overload your team with tackles and then all of a sudden you have three of these guys uh, once midseason hits so i don't know if that's the the wisest path forward for the 49ers option 2 would be bringing in uh, you know, more of a replacement level guy, maybe a little bit below replacement level guy. And a, easy, a guy that's easier to acquire right now. And there are probably a few of those names around the league, but it definitely wouldn't be an elite option. And option three would be sticking with Justin school, the rookie who you drafted in the late rounds this past, uh, this past uh, draft and hoping that he can hold down left tackle. And I think for both options two and three, Matt, the 49ers would have to really, really scheme around things. And I think that Kyle Shanahan is probably capable of doing that, but it would probably dumb down the offense a little bit. You'd have to use George Kittle in to help block a lot more often than you would like. And I think you want George Kittle out receiving as much as possible. And you'd probably use Kyle Juszczyk to help out as well, because he's your best blocking back on this team. So it's going to take some creativity from Kyle Shanahan, unless they go out and make a big splash and get a guy like Trent Williams. But I I just don't think that big splash is as likely as Kyle going out there and trying to scheme around this for a few weeks.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think a Trent Williams would require both a big contract and a big trade. And, uh, you know, that's sort of a double dip that when Staley is expected back this year that the team is not willing to do. Um, to me, the issue becomes the running game, uh, almost more so than the passing game. I think if they brought in somebody like, um, like Young, uh, that they, they, they could protect Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, blind side. But they wouldn't be able to run to the left like they, they can uh, with Staley. And that's really the beauty of the Kyle Shanahan offense. And we saw that today through the first three quarters. They can run left. They can run right. And when, when you can do that, it opens so much in, in the play-action game because uh, you've know you you've got the defense moving very decisively one way or the other. you you got them off balance, literally. Um, and, uh, I I just don't think that you're going to find any replacement. Even Trent Williams, um, isn't able to move in space like, uh, like Joe Staley can, um, even at, uh, his, uh, his age in in the mid thirties. So, uh, I I feel like he's irreplaceable, uh, for the short term. I think that they're going to try to do it, uh, like Dennis said, in house. Maybe they bring in Sam Young just for, for depth or somebody of that, uh, of that caliber, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a, a big name signing. However, they are suddenly 2-0. I mean, uh, they, they look like a hot team. They look like the Rams um, did last year. So uh, it, it might be worth investing in it if you think that this season is going to be special. And and here uh, the Steelers come uh, in, in week three, the 49ers' first home game of the season, Ben Roethlisberger's hurt. The, the, the running back, James Conner, might be hurt. The Steelers don't travel well when they go to San Francisco. I don't think they've won there since 1999. I've never certainly covered a, uh, a Steelers win in the, in the Bay Area. So all of a sudden, th- this team looks pretty good with the Steelers coming in and then a bye in Week 4. Uh, Dennis, what do you think? Well, one thing I know
2: for sure is that Levi Stadium Next Sunday will be rocking. I mean, I mean, it's been so long since a product on the field has looked this good. You know, even Coach Harbaugh's last season, you know, I think this team has more weapons on it than on that team. So I, I think the fans are gonna be excited, the fan base is gonna be excited. Um I just I just wonder, you know, if, if you know, we've seen a lot of people sell their tickets and I'm sure there's a lot of Pittsburgh Fans out there, will I just hope that the Niner fans, the Niner Empire, holds on to those tickets and show up for the game because, I mean, this team is exciting. I mean, and and the difference is that there's playmakers on both sides of the football, and you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, after that, after that interception, if you notice, I mean, his passes weren't really down the field. I mean, he was doing a lot of little quick passes, some screens, just getting the ball in the hands of playmakers and then after that it was just at yards after the catch and you know and then the running game helped out so much too so you know I, th- I think this team has got a lot of weapons on it and and you look on the defensive side I mean it's just at each level there's guys that can make plays and, and Quan Alexander today showed me a whole lot his first time I've actually seen him play an entire football game and he was all over the place and he had that pick and and you know he's he's a guy on the defensive side that can change possession of the ball with 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 the with just an interception or a, a forced fumble and or a tackle for loss so you know this team's excited exciting it's exciting to watch him now because of the playmakers i i think you're exactly right dennis and that
0: ties directly into the contingency plan here for the 49ers to overcome this loss of joe staley i think that in years prior You have an injury of this magnitude, and this team is starting to sink, right? But this season, you have enough talent, enough star power at critical positions to where I think it's reasonable to expect the 49ers to be able to pick up the slack moving forward. You talk about guys like Quan Alexander. You talk about that extremely deep defensive line. You talk about a secondary that I think made some mistakes today, but improved as the day went on and then started really benefiting from the the front seven in front of it. And then you talk about Kyle Shanahan's schematics offensively, Jimmy Garoppolo's accuracy, which was good today. All of those things can combine into picking up the slack of Joe Staley's injury. So the 49ers will be shorthanded in a, in a severe way. I think regardless of what happens here moving forward, as Matt pointed out, even a Trent Williams won't be a, you know, a run blocker on par with Joe Staley and outside zone scheme because there's probably never been a tackle in NFL history as athletic as Joe Staley. He was a 200-yard sprinter coming out of high school. I mean, the guy is truly a perfect fit for what Shanahan is trying to do. So the 49ers are going to lose some there, but I think finally this year they have the roster to pick themselves up after an injury like this. So, Matt, where, where do we start? We, we could talk about the defense, or Dennis, do you have something to say here? Because we have such a so many guys, so many contributors to talk about throughout the whole roster.
2: Well, what, I was just sitting there thinking and thinking about the Joe Staley thing. And if, if, if you were to go out and try to find a tackle like a Trent Williams, I mean, you've got some guys on this team and it, now we're talking about the business of football. You've got some guys in Solomon Thomas and Dante Pettis that you might, you know, you might want to see what their worth is. I mean, that and maybe a, a lower draft pick could could bring in a, a left tackle, a blindside tackle to protect your quarterback. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on
1: that? I don't know about that. Uh, I, I don't think that Solomon Thomas has shown enough to to fetch anything at this point. They they may or may not have tried to shop him in the offseason. There was a report about that, that uh, John Lynch very uh, strenuously denied, al- although it makes total sense because we're seeing it now. He just isn't uh, a big factor on this team. Uh, despite his uh, number three overall draft pick. And then Pettis is sort of the same thing. I mean, look at this uh, this stat line from from this game. Debo Samuel had 87 yards. Marquise Goodwin had 77 yards, um, so on and so forth. The, the guy who's missing is Dante Pettis. He didn't have a single target, much less a catch. Yeah, but he if was Washington not... needs a quarterback, then they could, <laughs> they could go for Pettis. He had a higher That's rating true. than Jimmy today. That's true. I think what th- was that? Was that pass left-handed today too? So that's that's a that's a south ball. So that gives you a, uh, a an added weapon. But you're right. Was that, it left-handed? That, uh I don't know. I mean, he, it was down on the right side, and he threw it back uh, to the to the left. So uh, I'm I thought it up was, right but now. I'm I might it up. Uh, I might be wrong on that. But they were definitely practicing that in Youngstown. And uh, as as a reporter, when you see something like that. You're not supposed to report it, obviously, because that would be a scheme thing. But uh, they, they, I saw that practiced a couple of times, and uh, Dante Pettis was accurate with all of his throws. And he was actually practicing before the game, like two hours before the game today. He was standing at, say, the 35-yard line, and he was thr- trying to hit the crossbar with his throws. And I was thinking, that's kind of an odd way to, for a wide receiver to, to warm up for a game. And now it all makes total sense to me. Well, Dante did that
0: a lot at Washington. I'm sure you saw, Dennis. Uh, yeah. Chris
2: Peterson loves those trick plays, so I remember hearing yeah. it out a few times. I just I just wonder, when, when when, I see trick plays in practice, I never think they work in the football game. And I just wonder, as a reporter watching that, do you think, ah, that that's not going to work? Or, you yeah, know, there's a possibility that could work. Obviously, it did work. But uh, when you see it in practice, do you really think, you know, they're going to actually try
1: to run that? Well, um, sometimes they run it and sometimes they don't, but they ran this one enough that I figured if not this game, it was going to be, uh, you know, uh, taken out at some point this season. And there was a lot of, I don't want to say trick plays today, but I mean, Samuel had a, uh, had a couple of runs. Um, they gave uh, Kyle Juszczyk the ball and, and sort of a sweep play at the end there. So uh, Kyle Shanahan, I don't think he's going into the very bottom of his bag of tricks, but... He was uh he he was gathering up uh, a lot of plays in this game, and like we said earlier, they they couldn't they could do no wrong today. They 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 uh they had their way with the Bengals defense.
0: Yeah, it, it was a total undressing of the Bengals defensive coordinator uh, Kyle Shanahan from that very first touchdown to Marquise Goodwin. was just masterful today, right? And Goodwin was twenty yards behind the defense, kind of slipped out there. I think Kyle Yuschek, I uh, tweeted about this, was great on those first two or three plays. First, yes. he caught the third down. And then he had the key pass block on the touchdown to Marquise Goodwin. And, and the reason I bring Yuschek up is because I think he's really symbolic of what Shanahan is trying to do with this offense. He's trying to implement as many really versatile pieces as possible. And this is something that might help the 49ers overcome the loss of Joe Staley. Because if you have guys that can block and also catch and you could line up at multiple formations, you can get through, you know, with some smoke and mirrors, you can overcome some talent deficiencies, but you set that touchdown up with a great block. And the formation was an awkward one. It was one of those bunch formations where the Bengals just lost Marquise Goodwin and he scored. And, and you saw that over and over again. And when the 49ers got to running the ball effectively, it was over because then the Bengals had to worry about Matt Breida, uh, you know, pulling off his Barry Sanders impersonation. So every play fake was seen to be an automatic 15 to 20 yard completion.
1: Yeah, I, I agree that Youthcheck had, had a great game. The, the very first play of the game for the offense, I think it was uh, a 6-yard game uh gain by Breida, and uh I was watching and Youthcheck got into it with the, the Bengals inside linebacker Nick Vigil and they had a, a bit of a past uh because Youthcheck used to be in this division the AFC North, but uh you know, he, he showed some fire early and and that was a big deal. The the, the 49ers had more energy than the Bengals. The 49ers, a team that had been on the road for 10 games, for 10 days rather, and had spent uh, you know, the last five in Youngstown, had every reason to be exhausted for this game. But they came out with better intensity, better energy. And it was it was the defense that did it with that that opening drive, three and out drive. And I, I thought the veterans, guys like Juszczyk, really sent a signal early in this game. And it just kind of carried through uh, throughout the rest of it.
2: And, you know, what happens is, you know, wins and wins like they had today, it starts building a little confidence and you get a little swag, you know, and I, and I, and I, at the end of the game there, you know, when uh, George Kittle caught that ball and made one defender miss and then straight armed another defender, knocked him on his bum. I mean, that's just, that's just confidence. And that's just the believing that, listen, we are going to impose our will on anybody who steps on a football field. And, and that's what a team needs. And I think that's what this 49er team has not had in a while. Yep, just yep. that, that swag and that confidence. So, you know, hopefully they can, they can build on it, not get too cocky about it. But understand that all you have to do is execute. And I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo did a fantastic job just executing the offense. He doesn't have to win football games. You know, he, all he has to do is execute the offense and get the ball to his playmakers. I think you're exactly right, Dennis. I
0: think it felt cathartic for the 49ers today to get that winning ugly out of their system because they, they haven't won all too much, of course, over the past couple of years. But when they have won, there's always been an asterisk, right? They were out of playoff contention already in December, 2017, when they won all those games. So Those might have felt good, but they still came with a little bit of worry. How is this team going to do when it's under the bright lights, when the games count? And then uh, obviously the wins down the stretch in 2018 came without Jimmy Garoppolo. And you look at the one against the Raiders, for example. Well, the Raiders, they quit early on in that game. That was a team that was in the tank last year. So you didn't really see anything that was just a manhandling where the 49ers could go on a swagger drive. Where they were, you know, the big boys on the block moving down the field, feeling good about themselves. And I thought I saw several of those drives in the second half when they outgained Cincinnati 222 to eight. I mean, just looking at that just blows my mind. 222 to eight. We saw what Patrick Mahomes did today in the second quarter against the Raiders, and, and all of NFL Twitter and, and social media was talking about that. Well, what the 49ers did to the Bengals in the third quarter was, was comparable. And even in the second quarter, it was really, really impressive throughout. And I think it was just kind of accumulation of what Shanahan wants to see offensively. And and here's a guy that we haven't talked all too much about yet, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that the accuracy was almost 100% spot on today. I I don't consider the interception an accuracy issue. That was just a terrible brain fart from Garoppolo. I don't know what he was doing on that. But when it came to putting the ball where it needed to be, where it needed to be, on the hands of receivers in stride on crossing routes downfield. Matt, uh, he might have missed what, one or, or two throws today? It was nearly flawless in that regard.
1: Yeah, and, and he was pretty confident in those throws. And uh he, he said something like that during the week, uh, you know, talking about his performance against Tampa Bay, which was spotty. Uh and, and he was saying that, you know, he was off target on a couple of those throws to Marquise Goodwin on one, to Kendrick Bourne on another. But he, he thought it was mechanical. He thought it was, you know, sort of rust related. Just kind of getting back into the swing of things. And he was proven right today. I mean, the mechanics were good. I agree with you. I mean, the throw into quadruple coverage is, is not a good one. Um, and uh it's one he wants back. But that was that was it. I mean, that was the only bad pass today. Uh the running game helped him quite a bit, but uh the mechanics were back and Uh, Him being more accurate, uh, coupled with Shanahan's play calling, plus what what Dennis has said about just more weapons on this team, that's a really good formula. And uh, I agree about what what you guys were saying about confidence. This this reminded me, I said earlier, uh, it reminded me of a, a 2012 type of romp. 2011 was the first year that they went to Youngstown. And uh, they were a little bit, you know, they, they had a winning record uh, going into Youngstown. I think they were 2-1 and one at the time. Uh, they had just won a very kind of tenuous game in Cincinnati, of all places, where they barely won. The offense wasn't very good. Then they went to Philadelphia, and uh, they were down, I think, 23-3 to at one point against a very good Eagles team. And they came back, and they won that game. And it was a signal to them that they were a good team and it was a real confidence boost. And I think they won eight in a row at that point. And the only loss during that streak was a game at uh, at Baltimore where they had a very short week and sort of an unfair travel week for them. But the idea that you start believing in yourself and you start believing that you can be good is is a real thing. And I thought that the team leaders – uh, use check we I, I mentioned Dennis mentioned George Kittle who's a team captain et cetera, et cetera. the guys that you want to be um uh, you know signal makers um, setting the tone et cetera, did exactly that in in what could have been a difficult game given that they were on the road so uh, the, the guys that you want to play well absolutely played well and they played well at the beginning and i thought that was a uh, a big deal today yeah, and you know,
2: confidence is is hard. I mean, in the NFL it's tough to win football games and and I think this just shows that, you know, th- those leaders that you talked about, these are the guys that I think have believed in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and kind of what they're doing and what they're trying to create, the culture they're trying to create, and now you're starting to see kind of like the rewards of it. And and I think those guys like George Kittle and even you know, to Joe Staley and, and those guys, I mean, they see kind of the vision and now it's kind of coming to true here. So, I mean, long as you have the confidence and you, you're not arrogant about the confidence and you just understand when you're on the football field, you just execute uh, and you're, you understand what the expectations are. That carries a football team a long way. And then, of course, the leadership. And I think Joe Staley, well, I know Joe Staley is going to be missed on that offensive line. Because he's been the glue that offensive line for the you know for the last decade or so. So again, they just got to keep it up. And, and and I think if they just understand what their potential is now, and you understand a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo has to understand, like I said, you don't have to win football games because you have so many weapons, and you got a fantastic defense, and you just kind of have to execute the offense uh, the way Coach Shanahan wants to run it. And even in this game, I mean, in the fourth quarter they were still pounding the ball i mean it was kill some clock time but it was still they were sticking to the game plan pounding the ball uh and getting the ball to uh playmakers let's change gears very quickly and just address the the negatives
0: in this game for the 49ers because the list was so short it it's just staggering to me how short it is compared to you know, even last week there, there was so much criticism, and we went around talking about Jimmy Garoppolo's lack of accuracy and this and that, and a dropped pick six. And it, today there was a dropped pick six. There was another one. That was one of my negatives. And then Akella Witherspoon compounded the the issue by kicking the ball, and um, that was a 15-yard penalty. That I thought it was kind of funny at the time, but I'm sure the 49ers sideline and Kyle Shanahan. Uh, weren't laughing when the the Bengals got that free 15 yards. But the only other r- real gaff I can think of, and I guess it was back-to-back gaffs, was when Jimmy Garoppolo seemed to have a two-play break, mental break from the game. First, he committed a false start on number 10 on the quarterback. You hardly ever see that. And then on the very next play, he threw it into, what, quintuple coverage downfield. Somebody joked on Twitter that Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball into the entire Bengals draft class. Um, <laughs> that that was a two play sequence that wasn't pretty, but Garoppolo bounced back. So did Witherspoon. He was great for most of the game. Uh, Matt, this list has not been this short since what 2013. I I can't. I wasn't even covering the
1: Niners then. Um, I'm picking nits here. one Williams didn't have a great opening yeah, series. Yeah, there, was right, a, there was there was a right. bust there, and, and I'm not exactly sure who was responsible for the. The bust on that that Bengals opening score, um, and this isn't the guy's fault. But D Ford uh, came out of the game at halftime. He's got a a quadriceps issue. It was described as quadriceps irritation. Never heard that uh, description before. But I thought it was notable that remember when D Ford um, uh, practiced a a couple of times in training camp and then. Uh, missed a couple of practice. The initial diagnosis was a quad injury for him, and then it changed to knee tendonitis. And then he had the uh, the PRP, which which you guys covered in uh, in gruesome detail in in the uh, in a previous podcast. But I, I have to wonder whether this quad issue is is related to the knee issue, and if it is, uh, that may be a, a a big bigger deal looming forward. I mean, we're we're talking a lot about Staley, and rightfully so, but uh, D Ford is another veteran who did not play in the second half of this game, and that would be a huge loss if he's uh, out for an extended period.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, he he's a guy that makes it easier. Just his presence on the field makes it easier for the other defensive linemen because you have to respect, you know, his talent level and what he can do from that wide nine. Kwan, I I mean, he had a tough series. Um, you know, trying to cover that flanker. You know, John Ross had some big catches on him so he's got to work on his game but uh you know other than that I mean and and even the Jimmy Garoppolo uh interception you know that that almost looked like a punt to me I mean he threw it off his back foot and just tossed it out there so but you know in all games there's going to be some negative I, I think at the end of the day you kind of see how you rebound from it and and even after the interception you saw you saw that offense continue to be very productive and and k you know, he, he got better. I mean, it was only that one touchdown and they kicked the field goal and that was all the points. The defense came back and, and they rallied around each other and they had a, had an outstanding game. Yeah. Not much can go wrong when you win by
0: 30 plus points in the NFL. I know they didn't win by 30 plus is 41, 17, but it was 41, 10 until uh, guys literally weren't, weren't trying anymore there in the final few seconds. So this was for all intents and purposes, a 30 point victory for the 49ers, which is really impressive. Before we, we sign off, I do have to mention Ronald Blair. I thought he yeah. was awesome today. I mean, he, Dennis, you're the defensive lineman here. Ronald Blair is a guy who doesn't get a lot of love. That That's a huge defensive line rotation. Uh, it, you know, Some people even thought he'd be the odd man out last year before the 49ers made roster cuts. But, of course, he made the team this year. His spot was a little bit more safe even amidst all those guys. But he really popped off the screen today to me.
2: Yeah. And we were just talking about D Ford. I mean, he came out the game and Ronald Blair jumped in there and he was making plays, had a sack, had a lot of tackles on the backside, running down the field. He was around the ball, very productive, productive day for him, but that just talks to kind of the the depth they have in this defensive line. I mean, they put a guy, we, you saw, um, Ronald Blair, well, Ronald Blair and you saw Sheldon day making plays, you know, in the third and the fourth quarter. So this D-line is very deep and and Ronald Blair is definitely standing up and say, "Hey, I'm here. I'm a good player. How can I how can I get in rotation?" 5 tackles, 1 sack, 3 tackles for loss and a quarterback hit.
0: That's that's a productive day at the office for a guy who didn't even start. Yeah. All right, so now moving forward, next week for the 49ers, it's their last game before the bye in week four, which, you know, might be a blessing in disguise now. I I know when the schedule first came out, we weren't really sure if that would be a positive for the 49ers. But at this point, I think Joe Staley's hurt. You're going to want that bye to come a little earlier in the season. So the Steelers are coming to town. It's the home opener. It's going to be hot at Levi Stadium, 85 degrees. So we'll see how many fans brave the the sunny side of the stadium. But as Dennis said, it, it should be pretty loud in there. It should be pretty excited, and there's a chance the 49ers won't have to face Ben Roethlisberger, who's going to get an MRI on his elbow on Monday. So uh, it may be Mason Rudolph, the backup quarterback for the 0-2 Steelers. Matt, this is you know a heck of an opportunity for the 49ers. What If this team starts 3-0, I mean, th- that hype train is, is really going to be rolling because it's already
1: pretty good now at 2-0. I know that Dennis hates white jersey talk, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I, have to, I have to point out that they're, they're 2-0 and in their white jerseys this year. And wouldn't it be nice to stick the Steelers in their, in their home black jerseys on that, uh, that wickedly hot uh, east side of the Levi Stadium? I think that would be a real advantage. Maybe, maybe the 49ers should go white jerseys for the rest of the season
2: you're starting to get a little too superstitious now yeah well i do hey last, it's, last science. Week, it's science it's science you know it's interesting when when i hear you know about the weather and the jerseys and you know put the light jerseys in the dark i can tell you as a player we don't care what color the jersey is and and you're gonna get hot you're gonna get sweaty and if you notice today a lot of the guys especially on the defensive side of the ball you got long sleeve shirts on under the jersey so I mean the white, the black, the color, the weather. We were we're football players. All we need is a time and a place, and I can guarantee you you'll be ready to play because that's what we did. We play football. So white jerseys, black jerseys don't matter.
1: Are you telling me that football players aren't superstitious? Because I, it, I v- very dis- superstitious I would disagree <laughs> very, with you. Very,
2: very very superstitious, but the colors aren't aren't a big thing. I mean, if you're wearing dark jerseys, if it's hot, if you're light jerseys it doesn't really matter. Growing up a football fan, I just think it would be blasphemous for the 49ers. You
0: know, this is like the New York Yankees of the NFL. This is one of the storied franchises to show up at their home opener wearing white uniforms. When they have those classic red uniforms that they wear at home, I I just, uh, that just doesn't sit well with me. Um, You know, advantage or not, I think 49ers need to play in, in their reds at home. And I also think it's a huge missed opportunity to sell more jerseys and you know maybe somebody <laughs> will be listening uh, th- this year they're going to be wearing their white throwbacks for the 94 team uh, they already wore those last year uh, i don't think they should ever wear white at home why don't they make the the red throwbacks for the 1994 team why don't they wear those this year so they could sell some of those jerseys on the 25th anniversary I, i'm just a purist I, I i like to see the red at home for the 49ers what about the all black no oh don't even get me started <laughs> That's, I almost <laughs> threw it up when I saw them in all black for the first time in that night game a few years ago. No, no, I'm not into it. Well, that sold some jerseys.
1: I couldn't tell Vance McDonald from Garrett Selleck in those games. One had an 88, one had an 89, and I I just threw my hands in the air. It looked like everybody was on the practice squad. It looked like a scrimmage.
0: It, it, it delegitimized the game, in my opinion. And that was a good game, too, when they played the Rams on that Thursday yeah. night game. Two years ago, but but it just didn't feel like a
1: classic 49ers Rams game because both teams look like clowns. And that's the shootout that we could have. And what what is it week uh, week six when when the Rams uh, when they they go down to LA to play the Rams? I mean, that's what's sort of looming, and I think that's uh, that's great for the 49ers. It's great for the Rams. It's great for the state of California. But that's what a, a nice hot start for the 49ers gets you. It's uh, that could be a very exciting game. In uh, early October.
2: Yeah. And you, you look at the Steelers coming into town. I mean, you talk about Joe Staley not being there. They've got a couple of good outside pass rushers. So, you know, you, you have to, you're going to figure Wood. out real fast. Yeah. You're going to find out real fast, you know, what's going to happen with this offensive line. Cause if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be, you know, if you do it in house and, and your quarterbacks harass the entire football game, you, you're going to have to do something different.
0: I think the pressure's on Kyle Shanahan, and if this week is any indication, the 49ers are more than happy to have the pressure on Kyle Shanahan. I think he, like, like we said at the top of the show, he's going to have to scheme around some things that the 49ers don't make a, a big move, but there may not be a better coach in the NFL to, to scheme around things offensively. He's definitely in that conversation. I mean, even over the past two years, when the 49ers haven't been good as a team, I think we've all recognized and discussed how Shanahan is scheming guys open, even if the personnel hasn't been up to par. And so today we saw Shanahan do the same thing, maybe even at a higher level because he was really on point today, but it was combined with the personnel, healthy, confident quarterback. Most of the game, he had a fully intact offensive line and he's got weapons all over the field now. So that's going to have to continue moving forward, even though the 49ers are a little bit shorthanded anyway. Um, We've been going here for a little bit more than 40 minutes, so we went a little long, but that's that's okay. This was fun to break down a 41-17 49ers victory over the Bengals. Matt, safe travels home from Cincinnati when you leave in tomorrow. Uh, 7 you know, a.m. It's actually yeah, Monday uh, now because we recorded this right. on Sunday. We cheated. But, yeah, so, 7 a. You're in the air
2: right now, technically.
1: Uh, I'll <laughs> be in the air as you guys are listening to this tomorrow. Sounds finish. good.
2: <laughs> safe travels or safe travel.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Safe travel. Welcome.
0: Uh, it will be a nice welcome home after a long time on the road. The 49ers were in that Eastern time zone for for quite a while there. Anyway, thanks to Matt Barrows. Also, thank you to, to you, Dennis. That was fun. And we will talk to you guys next time sometime midweek as the 49ers get ready for the Steelers right here on the Here's the Catch 49ers podcast. Hey, this is David Lombardi from Here's the Catch, your 49ers podcast. For our weekly player interview and content exclusively on The Athletic, visit theathletic.com forward slash Here's the Catch. Hey there, listeners. We're excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you are going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavita Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com forward slash The Lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or a full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto, introducing the lead.
1: Faster, faster.
0: Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you.
2: Are you kidding me? I've never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a that. The
0: lead sports up close.